Welcome to the Run for God Run Club, where you will find God in a runner's space. Welcome to the Run for God Run Club. This is your one stop each week to be motivated and inspired to get off the couch and onto the running trail where you can in turn inspire others to do the same. Let's learn, laugh, and leap into running together, giving God the glory for what we are able to do in His name. Amen. I am your running host, Dean Thompson. Today on the Run for God podcast, Uh, We're going to share a neat story about apples that I think you'll like. And then we're going to share a a harrowing experience (laughs) that was almost the end of me. Are you intrigued yet? (laughs) And we'll talk about how I made it through it. To help make sense of it all, here is founder, uh, Run for God founder, Mitchell Hollis. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Dean. You're a little tongue twisted this morning. I know. Hey, so today my worlds are colliding. Yeah. So uh, we're doing this podcast but at the same time, 20 feet above us, they are re-roofing our offices here. So uh, if you hear banging and hammering, it's going to be hard for me to concentrate because it's hard for me to concentrate when it's dead quiet anyway. So uh, if you hear ha- hammering and banging, just know somebody's not trying to break in and get us. Uh, they're simply putting a, a new roof on above us. So we're going to roll with it. Yeah. So we've got construction and running. So yeah. In essence, my two worlds are colliding. It's, it's all good. <laughs> and they're working fast, too. They are. My Man, these guys goodness. are very fast. Phew. Well, this past weekend, Lane and Landon just knocked it out of the park on a triathlon, didn't they? They did. That, that was, was a lot of fun. I, <clears throat> You know, Holly and I, we kind of had a flashback because, you know, they both grew up doing the Iron Kids thing. And we would travel to these races, and both of them were racing, and... We were up at the crack of dawn. I mean, before the crack of dawn, the twilight hours to get up and go to the race site. Well, we haven't done that in a few years. Lane has been racing, you know, these bigger races all over the country. So, and Landon hasn't been racing. Well, um, two weeks ago, Lane Lane decided he was going to do a race here in Chattanooga, uh, a pretty big race, uh, Olympic distance race. And they also have a sprint. Well, two weeks ago, Landon decided after not having been in the water, or on a bike for almost three years that he's going to do the sprint. And uh, so I see your note here, last minute landing. That is so true. <laughs> I mean, he ran a, he decided to run a marathon the night before the marathon, yeah. and having never run over 12 miles. And he decided he was going to do this race. And, you know, we thought, all right, you know, that's typical landing. Yeah. So we show up on race morning and we find out that it's the Tennessee state high school championship triathlon and i thought well he's gonna get dusted you know because there's some pretty fast guys here he winds up winning his age group (laughs) and just a crazy time lane wound up winning the olympic distance race set up a pretty commanding course record which was awesome to see but but that morning i mean our alarm clocks went off at 345 and holly and i looked at each other and like you know, this brings back some memories here of <laughs> getting up for these early races. And uh, so, yeah, it was a well, lot of fun. It was a great race, great day. Yeah. Well, and as a running guy, I was really proud that they both had the fastest running splits. Lane the 10K, Landon the 5K. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, they had the fastest Only running splits in the race. Out. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. 100%. So, yeah, I don't think Lane's run was quite where he wanted it to be. But, I mean, for, for where he's been the past year and a half, he's – He's kind of had a rough year and a half, and he's 
on his way back now after an injury and some other things. And uh, well, that's his first 10K at the end of a triathlon, too. Yeah. So, and yeah. from what I understand, it was pretty even paced. Yeah. And he was so suffering, was pretty, though. I don't know if you talked to him much, but <laughs> yeah. That, you know, he came out of transition. He came off the bike and come starting the run, and he was all smiles. Yeah. I mean, that, that was good to see. Yeah. But uh, the Hawkins, Angie and Patrick were there watching, and, uh, I think one of them said he was smiling. And I said, just wait. Yeah. Because <laughs> he came by us twice. It was a two loop course. And yeah. Sure enough, I'm, at the end of that first lap, that smile had turned upside down. <laughs> he was suffering pretty bad. But, you know, that's part of it. And 10K is a lot different so, than a 5K. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's realizing that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a good day. That's awesome. All right, so before we get into the story, let's talk about this week's sponsor. And again, if you have a business out there and you want to support Run for God and allow us to support your business, send an email to runlanehollis at gmail.com. He'll get you all the information on our partnership program. But but this week's sponsor is uh, First Bank of Dalton. Uh, Your bank choice is important because the privacy and security of your money is important. And whether you're opening a checking account or getting a home mortgage, your local First Bank of Dalton will have the best experience you can ask for. No stress, no hassle, First Bank of Dalton. Uh, Great group of people down there. Mitch Sanford's president down there, great friend of mine. Um, Just, uh, they're kind of one of the, I think they are the last hometown bank in in our community at least in this area yeah. um and uh but yeah they're a great group of people down there and, and thank thanks to everyone down there jennifer and mitch for supporting us and um we couldn't do what we do without them i like the small town folks the the, the uh we had somebody recently come into and this happens every time somebody comes to Cahutta, you know Cahutta really small place but it's a neat place and a lot of people a lot of people use the word mayberry when they uh talk about cahutta and they've seen it for the first time and it's uh it's just it's a nice place and we really like it and uh i like the small town feel we had a facebook post from this week from julie kales davis that said this uh couch to marathon 2022 10k training week nine number four another six miles in the books walked some i need to start eating a banana or energy bar before these longer runs and praying i can acclimate to the heat soon i'm hydrating as i always drink lots of water i'm getting better at having a good attitude for my workouts which is honestly driving the physical part believe in yourself knowledge is good but belief has power Do you know of God or do you believe in God? There is a big difference between the two. Let's keep going and pushing ourselves and lean on God to take us to the finish line. Psalm 59, 16. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. Uh, You, God, are my fortress, my God on which I rely. You know, it's just... uh it's awesome to see people connecting these dots yeah the you know we call it the intersection of faith and endurance um and that's exactly what julie's talking about here um when when things get hard that's when that enduring kicks in Mm -hmm. and uh it's so cool to see people paralleling that with with their their faith life with their fitness life and that's I, I i mean that's at the end of the day that's why this ministry works is because it is so similar the principles we learn in the sport are the same principles that we can use in our faith and vice versa yeah. um, and it's so cool to see posts like this where it's like it clicks yeah 
Yeah, and it's interesting, too, to see the process and how the process works. This process of getting better at running, the process of becoming a better Christian, mm-hmm. the pro- all, all of these things are processes, and we're all learning along the way. And she talks about how she learned something. Mm-hmm. I need to do a better job with this. And uh, it's, it's, it's how we do everything. It's, and in, in spiritual terms, it's the Holy Spirit convicting us mm-hmm. to not do that thing that we just did or respond in the way that we just responded or whatever it may be. And um, it, I love to see people just trying new things and trying to figure it out. I like to, when I'm coaching athletes, I love to hear an athlete come to me and say, I did this because this is mm-hmm. the reasoning I had behind it. And it's something maybe I didn't even tell them to do, but their yeah. reasoning is solid. And I love to see that. And uh, that's kind of what she's doing here, isn't it? Yeah. And of course, good attitudes is is just crazy sure. important. We had a, a kid this past uh, this week, he's a middle school. He's an eighth grader. He's just starting running, and we were getting close to the finish. Of, we had about I don't know, maybe a half mile left to go. And he's like, I, I, "Dean, I'm gonna have to walk." I said, "No, you're not." He said, "I'm gonna have to." I said, "No, you don't have to. You're choosing to." I yeah. said, "You're not gonna walk." And he said, I, I, "I can't. I can't do it." I said. You can do it. You need to keep telling yourself that. And we went through this process for a half mile. <laughs> Before you know it, you're at the finish line. Uh, and, of course, Jack Gallagly was with me, and um, I'm forgetting I'm forgetting who else was with us, running with us. But they were all doing the same thing, telling yeah. him, you can do it. You can do it. And sure enough, we got to the end of that, that run, and he did it. Yeah. And uh, we can do so much more yeah. than we think we can. And a lot of times it lies in our positive attitudes. And I, I guess you saying that makes me think of this, but that's why the, the community around you is so important. Yeah. You know, if he would have been by himself, I have no question he would have walked. hundred percent. No question. Yep. And that's why, that's why this group is so important. But it's, you know, we always talk about the group and the encouragement and, and how great this group is because of that. But we also have to look at the reverse side. We have to do what what that young man did, and we have to voice it. When we're struggling, we we need to come to everybody and say, hey, I'm struggling. That's a good point. And that's when you engage everybody. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the evil one out there, that's that's his number one goal is to keep us silent because Mm -hmm. we, we fail in silence. And but many times when we when we put it out there, hey, I'm struggling, you're gonna have the people, the other runners. If he would have never said anything, and just backed off and started walking, he would have walked. Yep. But because he kind of voiced it and let everybody know, hey, I'm struggling, the whole team came around him. And that's exactly what happens in Run Club. Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty awesome analogy. Yep. We had a trivia question for last week, and it was this. There is a race in Morocco that they call the toughest race in the world. What is it called, and why is it so tough? You didn't know the answer to this one, did you? <laughs> no. Marathon des Sables. I guess is, is how you would say it. Um, it's a, uh, it takes place in Southern Morocco. It is in the Sahara desert. That so, doesn't sound fun. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't help but think about the death Valley race, right? Sure. When you, when you think about this one, um, that that's the first thing that came up to my mind. They said that the, the temperature can get as high as over 120 degrees there in that part of the Sahara desert. Um, and the distance of this race is roughly about the distance of six marathons. Um, and it takes place over six days. And so it's a stage race. Uh, if you don't know what a stage race is, that's a race where you run a, a prescribed distance every day. And that distance apparently changes from day to day. Because I think the longest the longest one is like almost 50 miles uh, stage. So there's some shorter stages as well. But it takes place over these six days. 
And, was there uh, a movie made about this race or a documentary? It may be. I've. I this think may I, be now that you mention running it. Running the Sahara. It may be. Yeah. It may be the story of the guy we're going to talk about here in just a second. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that documentary. Yeah. Run the Sahara, I think it's called. Huh. Well, this race started in 1986. You'll notice a theme here. A lot of the races that we've talked about, a lot of these trivia questions come back to races that started in the 80s. Um, that's when things were, were pumping up. Um, there's over a thousand participants most years these days. Um, but there was the one interesting story from way back in 1994. And um, you have to understand in 1994, this was a different race than it is today 1984 or 94 1994 okay uh yeah it was a different race in in 94 than it is today because back then they had 80 participants and um you know now there's over a thousand so there's all sorts of support there's helicopters flying around there's all sorts of stuff these days back then it was just good luck (laughs) you know um so i found this article from it's abc.net.au i want to give credit to to whoever wrote it i'm not sure exactly what that was because the site just said news that's all it said at the top so i'm not not sure what this came from Uh, but that was the the web address so um so here's what they wrote to understand the intensity of the marathon des sables we need to look at the numbers a six-day race winding 251 kilometers through the sahara desert with a midday sun that can push temperatures as high as 50 degrees celsius we talked about how much that is Um, That's like running six marathons in a hot oven with 10 kilograms of food and gear strapped to your back. This year, 47% of runners dropped out before the end of the race. For those who do stumble across the finish line, blistered, dehydrated, and sometimes hallucinating, they can proudly say they completed one of the toughest endurance races in the world. And so this guy runs this race, and this this is him. While I was out there, the, while I was out there all those days wandering alone, I became like an animal, a desert creature that lives by the rules of the sun and behaves entirely on instinct. Morrow Prosperi would tell Men's Journal four years after the fateful race. Every thought, every moment of my body was devoted to surviving. I repeated to myself, do not surrender. This is how a 39-year-old Italian Olympian says he survived 10 days in the desert and why one man insisted it was all a lie. And this is this whole story about this guy who spent 10 days in the desert, 1,200 people, uh, compete, compete in this thing now. And today they carry GPS beacons back then. They didn't do that again. When somebody was lost, they were lost. Um, Prosperi said he had to sign a form with instructions on where race organizers should send his body if he should die. So, uh, that's how, that's how bad it was by then. Um, and of course he had promised his wife, worst thing that can happen to him is that, uh, he's going to get a little sunburn. <laughs> he was wrong. Uh, Prosperity covered 96 kilometers of sand dunes, salt beds, and rocks in three days. On the fourth and longest day of the race, he he was he placed set, was placed seventh, and starting to wonder if he had a shot at winning. But he didn't realize a monster was headed his way. When a strong winds blew over a desert, tiny particles of sand began to vibrate before they whipped into the air. A sandstorm can reach heights of 15 meters, traveling at speeds of up to 40 kilometers an hour which is, what would that be, uh, 
80 kilometers, pretty, pretty, almost, almost hurricane winds. Yeah. Um, inside the dark howling center of a storm, sand lacerates the skin, eyes, and throat. I was swallowed by a yellow wall of sand. I was blinded. I couldn't breathe. The sand whipped my face. It was like a storm of needles, Prosperi told the BBC. Fearing that he could not, he could be buried in the sand and unwilling to give up his position in the race, he kept moving. This was against the advice of race organizers who had instructed runners to stop and take cover in a sleeping bag if a sandstorm enveloped them. After eight hours trapped in the storm, Prosperi found himself suddenly, palpably alone in the still desert night. He slept in the dunes, figuring he would find his way to a checkpoint with his compass and map in the morning. However, when he woke up, the storm had transformed the landscape into something unrecognizable. After running for about four hours, I climbed up to a dune and still couldn't see anything. That's when I knew I had a big problem. So he failed to show up for a checkpoint the next morning. So race organizers, they start looking for him. Um, They went out there in Land Rovers. They sent a helicopter out there. Uh, The military joined the hunt. All sorts of people were out there looking for this guy because he had just vanished, according to them, uh, to the people who were looking for him. Um, And then while he's out there, um, he finally comes up on this. He, He actually got to this point. It says, that night I urinated into my water bottle and saved it. I said to myself, I will drink this if I need to. I ate a power bar and fell asleep on the high dune. Then he finds this structure in the middle of a of, of the desert. Um, why the structure's in the middle of the desert, I'm, I'm still not clear on. But anyway, vultures started circling, and they were just waiting for him because they knew what was, what was going to happen. And um, he was determined to survive, so he kept going. Um, finally, after eight days, he finally came up across an oasis, which is really just a large puddle. Um, but... Bottom line is he couldn't hardly swallow. He couldn't hold anything. He he found that just a few tiny sips was all he could take. Finally, somebody, he finds some people, and they finally find him. And people are um, convinced that this guy couldn't have possibly have done this, that there's no way this could have happened. And so they decided a little bit later to go out and find him. They found him 291 kilometers off uh, course he weighed less than a hundred pounds at this point um, and uh, and said there was several people said there was no way he could have survived this but then what happened was they go back out there and they they find this structure because he told them about this structure that he had found that he kind of hung out at for a day or two before finally deciding I'm gonna have to keep moving because I don't think they're gonna find me here Um which, of course, is against the rules of survival. The rules of survival say stay where you are, mm-hmm. especially if you're at a landmark, and people will probably find you. <clears throat> he did, decided to keep going. Well, anyway, they go back, and they found some of his belongings at that place. So they found out that this really did happen, and he wasn't lying. Why somebody would show up at less than 100 pounds and barely able to drink water <laughs> and think the guy's lying, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but that is the harrow- harrowing story of this guy in the uh, Marathon des Sables. That's just, I love those stories like that. Yeah. It's just pure, at the end of the day, that was just pure grit. Yeah. I mean, just. The instinct to survive. I'm not going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you hear that, I mean, you hear the stories where people's arms are trapped and they cut their own arm off and just crazy stories like that. It's just, it's just a testament that we're, we're capable of doing many times more than we think we are. 
Right. And uh, I mean, it's a lesson that we can apply to just that hard run this afternoon and it's hot and you're sweating and you're thirsty. And you're thinking, I'm going to die. Think about this guy. You're not going to die. You know, you see those shirts, those t-shirts, but did you die? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, this is a, it's a great story. It is a good story. Well, all right. It's uh, about time for 10K time, isn't it? This Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. The Hawkins uh, Fundraiser 10K down in Cartersville, Georgia. Again, you can sign up for it and come and join us in Cartersville. You can join us virtually. It is 100% free, although we are asking, or or Patrick and Angie are asking for uh, donations and people to set up a donation page. All the money goes to benefit uh, and support Run for God, which allows us to wake up every day and figure out how to share the gospel through the sport of running. Um, but yeah, and I think they've got some cool stuff. If you set up a fundraiser page and you, you raise just $20, I think you get a, a towel with some cool stuff. And, um, yeah. you know, a- Angie, she couldn't just let this be no frills. <laughs> no, she, she, she tried. <laughs> she really did try, but she had to throw some goodies yeah. in there, which is awesome. Yes. Um, so, yes. Uh, so yeah, go check it out. You can go to the run uh, go to the Hawkins fundraiser 10 K. Uh, but it's this Saturday, so uh, you and I will both be there, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And as far as I know, we still don't, at this point, at the time of this recording, we don't have a 1,000 people signed up, so I wonder if we're going to get that before race day. You know, she lowered the bar on the, you know, how much you had to raise, and what you're referring to is that you said if we got a 1,000 people, then you would run... 50 miles 50 miles on a track live so yeah maybe we need to lower the bar for you no i don't think that no dang we gotta go at least a thousand come on come on all right (laughs) all you gotta do is sign up that's true yeah i mean we got it's already free three thousand members of run club i mean come on we can get one thousand people to go in there and sign up you don't have to pay anything and you get to watch dean suffer for 12 hours on a track live on facebook so uh, go go get signed up also before we go to the break uh it looks like we were getting very close on the new website uh we're putting the final touches this site is incredible it's incredible you hadn't been on there very much um but it's it's got a lot of cool stuff on it we are shooting tentatively for some time in august of launching the new runforgod.com you will have to go in and update your account so if you just go and you try to log in with your old login and password it will not work there'll be probably two or three steps that you'll have to take to get to get back in uh but we're going to make it as simple as possible um but we're really excited about it it's yeah. a, it's a game changer it's got a lot of cool stuff everything is much more user friendly um so yeah stay tuned yeah that's awesome you get up early before the kids for your morning workout. Spend some time studying or reading your devotion. And pick up the kids each afternoon. Whatever the moment, J Radio has you covered. Get your account at jradio.com and download the app in your app store. J Radio, music for every moment. All right, we're back. And so recently on Thursday Night Live, we've been talking about injuries. Mm-hmm. We've gone through a few of them. And um, I, 
Uh, that's something that I get more questions about than anything else. So I thought we would take one injury a week and talk about that particular injury, and hopefully we hit different things. But um, hopefully people are tuning in, too, just to find out, well, what if I get that? Because, you know, some things like uh, plantar fasciitis, if you're a runner, there's a chance, good well, chance. It's, it's funny. As of the day of this recording, tonight you're doing your, your talk on plantar fasciitis. Well, guess what Holly's been struggling with lately? Oh, no, really? Yeah, so she's going to be time. on there probably asking questions tonight. All so. Right. uh yeah, she's she's been struggling with that a little bit, and just so happens that's what you're talking about tonight. And we did not plan that. Yeah, so check that out on Thursday nights because I we have a lot of fun. There is a little bit of feed. There's a little bit of back and forth on on uh, Thursday nights, and so that makes it a little bit more fun. Obviously, you can always go back and watch it later as well. And uh, all the ones we've ever done are available for you to go back and watch. Sure. So. How about a shout out to our walkers today? We don't talk that much about our walkers, but really and truly, when we talk about running and we use the word runner or mm-hmm. running, we're talking about walkers and right. walking as well, aren't we? Because I are a walker now. That's right. So these are my people. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that runners probably find it hard to believe that you can do these same workouts that we do as runners. And you can do them as walkers, and it has this basically the same benefit. They're just as hard, and they're just as hard. Yes, yeah. you know, I, I did that half marathon with you walking, and I was way more sore <laughs> from that than I am a typical track workout. Yeah, um, because it's kind it's of a, engages muscles differently. It does, it yeah. does, and so it's it's a good workout too. So it might not get your heart rate quite as high, mm-hmm. but it's close. And yeah. it's going to give you plenty of You can of, definitely get into that zone, mid-high zone three. You know, if we're, we're looking at five zones, you know, I don't know that you can really – you probably can't get into zone four up yeah. in those ranges. Um, but, I mean, you can definitely just about get anaerobic yeah, uh, by walking really fast. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I was talking to Landon this past week about his uh, – you know, I was talking to him about his race. Mm-hmm. And he was – I asked him, I said, are you really sore? And he said, well, he said, I, I – he said, we went to the lake afterwards. I think I'm more sore from that than I am from the <laughs> – Yeah, he was doing the, the wakeboard. Yeah. And Landon's one of those – he's going to keep doing it till he gets it. Yeah. I bet he stayed in the water for 45 minutes. Wow. Trying to get that and trying to get that and trying to get that. And yeah, he was he was sore in his shoulders the next day. And I said, you know, it might have been from the swim because you hadn't swam in so long. He said, no, it was the wakeboard. <laughs> so, uh, Well, listen, if you're out there and you're a walker and you feel the slightest bit guilty hmm. about enjoying walking, please don't do that. No. And if you're a runner and you're like, I'm not the running stuff, I'm just... Uh, and you feel like maybe God's telling you you should just be walking, then don't feel guilty about that. Yeah, our goal this past year is really to to kind of do away with that, the notion that somehow walkers are inferior to runners. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just not true. I don't know. I don't know how that got to be. How did that get to be? I, I don't know. I because think it's, people it's not have quite this, as intense. Yeah, people have this feeling that, oh, I'm really not doing something if I'm walking. You absolutely are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you should be proud of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if you're out there and you're walking and you have any kind of, like you say, guilt or, or some kind of thought that, 
You don't want people seeing you walking. I used to be that guy. Yeah. You know, those times I had to stop and walk on a run, and especially if I was on Cleveland Highway, I would just about kill myself not to walk because I didn't want people seeing me walking. Yep. Now I walk out there proudly. I wave at everybody now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, there's something freeing about doing away with that train of thought and just walk. Yeah. You know, if that's what you want to do now, some people want to run and, but we, we welcome them all. Yeah. This camp. So many people are self-conscious about it. I noticed that when I do like a track workout or something like that, I just leave my watch running. I don't stop it and start yeah. it. And so like the other day I did some some pretty fast 200s, really fast. Well, when you look at my at my watch afterwards it says I ran 8 miles at 8 minute pace. Yeah. It looks like it was just a nice easy run. Yeah. And it was anything but. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, don't be embarrassed by it. Don't be don't feel bad about it. Just it is what it is and yeah. you know, if people think I had a nice easy run that day. I don't care i still got the benefit of my workout sure so <laughs> yeah it's all good well we've talked about how everything is connected and we're usually referring to our body but there are a lot of moving parts in almost everything that we do the m- most mundane things so this week jerry snyder our run for god comedian <laughs> uh, um, this one's a little bit more serious than the ones he's had in the past but again it's really fun and this one is called a is for apple Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. That comes from Robert Schuler, minister. Please peel me an apple, Grandma. More than the taste of a juicy apple, as a child, I was fascinated with the way my grandmother would peel an apple for me, slowly and carefully twisting the paring knife, making a long spiraling rope out of a peel. Most of the time, what followed this ritual was the adage, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, a quote I later learned that came from Benjamin Franklin. The Big Apple is a nickname for New York City. How it got that name goes back to the 1920s. A sports writer named John Fitzgerald started using the phrase to point out the prizes, or as he called them, the Big Apples, won at racetracks. But it wasn't until 1971 that New York City officially made the Big Apple its nickname. The Big Apple is home to the largest marathon race in the world. It hosts over 50,000 runners, just a few more than the 120, 127 that ran back in 1970 when the race started. Two million people line the streets to watch the race with runners from 140 countries. The best news is the athletes participating help raise $45 million for charity. Lucy Larkham, a teacher and poet, had some interesting thoughts about apples. She said, If an apple blossom or a ripe apple could tell its own story, it would still be more than its own. The story of the sunshine that smiled upon it, the winds that whispered to it, the birds that sang around it, of the storms that visited it, and the motherly tree that held it and fed it until its petals were unfolded and its form developed. What Lucy is saying here about apples reminds me of how many people, how many people it takes to get me and you across the finish line of a marathon race. Let's start with your feet. To run your best, you're going to need a good pair of shoes. Someone had to make those shoes. Someone else had to supply the materials they're made of. Next, those shoes had to be shipped to the store so a friendly clerk could help you get a good fit. Don't forget the socks. And you're going to need running shorts, a shirt, jacket, hat. 
someone had to make and ship those to the store as well. Most likely you have a coach with a running plan. It's always fun to run with a buddy or two. How about all the friends, family, and spectators cheering you on? Someone had to organize the race. Volunteers had to keep you supplied with water. Just like that apple Lucy is talking about, there are a lot of people to thank for your success in crossing that finish line. <laughs> Jerry always has such a good perspective on things. Yeah, he does. Just, uh, that's a great story. Yeah, it, it, it does. And it takes so many moving parts to do everything. Even just when we take one step, there are literally thousands of things that happen in one step, mm-hmm. right? So you, that those muscles have to activate and you've got all these little motor units in your muscles and so many of them are activating while others are resting and this goes back and forth and um, that's happening with one step. Mm-hmm. And then of course it takes many, many steps to to make a mile uh, or to make a 5k or a a marathon Um, so it's thousands more and you multiply all of those thousands of steps and the thousands of things that's happening in each step and it's really amazing how intricate makes you wonder how many pieces of information transpires in your body without you even knowing it on a daily basis yeah it's amazing it really is I mean it really is when you really start looking at it like that that we do all these things and we don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. It just happens. And it's like that for everything we do. And we're talking about a a running a race here, but you know, when we eat, we, we take a shower, whatever we do, it's really complicated. And, uh, I think it's a, it's an interesting thought. I can't believe that I didn't come up with this thought and idea for writing this story. Jerry's just smarter than you. I guess so. (laughs) Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. You know, every time I hear this verse, I always have to back up to verse 19. And so I'm going to read verse 19 because it's, it's the contrast of the fruit of the Spirit. So verse 19 says... And now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like. Um, so it's 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 two opposing things. It's it's the flesh or the fruit, mm-hmm. um, and we all live there. But one thing that I think is interesting is it really comes down to. What is at the core of who you are? Is it flesh or is it fruit? Because what, what these verses are not saying is that if if you slip up and you have any of these acts of the flesh, it doesn't mean you're not a child of God. Right. On the contrasting that, if you have any of these things that are the fruit of the spirit, that doesn't make you a child of God. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to who are you? Who do people know you as? I mean, are you are you a person who you just exude the fruit of the spirit because we're occasionally going to step our toe? Are you a person who exudes the flesh and every now and then you do a kind deed? And that's that's something you really should sit down and and think about mm-hmm. every so often is is who do people say that I am? You know, Jesus said that. Who, who do people say that I am? Yeah. You're, yeah. you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
what are others saying about us? And it's easy to say, you know, I don't care what people think about me, whatever. But that what what is coming out of you and what others are seeing is very important yes. because we're either pointing people to Christ and messing up every now and then because we're all going to mess up, yeah. or we are pointing people to uh, the opposite of that. Yeah. And uh, so I, yeah, I just always like to go back and read verse nineteen because what what the what what's being done here is is a contrast of the flesh and the fruit. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it will be known by our fruit. Yeah, it, it, that's an interesting thought. And it you know the verse here says fruit, not fruits. So it's singular. All, all yeah, all of these things are are of the same source right. basically. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I lived down in southern Florida, and when we lived down there, there was a plant that grew down there called Monastera deliciosa. You ever heard of it? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was an interesting plant, and it had fruit. And the fruit that came off of a Monastera deliciosa kind of looked, it's hard to describe, but it was kind of the size of maybe a big cucumber. Yeah. Um, and it had scales on it. And so as the fruit got ripe, these scales would start to fall off and then expose the fruit that was under it. It's still available today. I think you can I, I, you probably buy it like Whole Foods and places like that. I'll bet you can buy some of this stuff. Um, but it's what was interesting about that fruit. And I haven't had any since I was a tiny kid. But what, from what I remember about it, what my mother always used to talk about was it was all it was different from one day to the next hmm. so you could have one one piece of fruit off the same plant would taste completely different hmm. than another one and i couldn't help but think about that when i was thinking about this idea that the fruit that comes from us all the, these these monastery deliciosa plants they all have all this fruit that looks the same mm -hmm. but it's all it all tastes different and it has a different taste i don't know i just thought that well i think a lot of people look at this verse almost like the the spiritual gifts well god gave me self-control but he didn't give me gentleness no yeah. if you're a child of god these are all available that's this right is, this is all this should become your nature and that's why it doesn't say the fruits of the spirit it says the fruit of the spirit because it's this, these things aren't mutually exclusive. It's not like spiritual gifts where I have the gift of discernment, but I don't have the gift of teaching, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Um, that, that's not the way this verse is written. We may have to work harder at some of those. Sure. Like you know, like I've, I've mentioned before on here, you know, I've had to work on my my temper. Patience. And, I, and my patience. Yeah. I, I've gotten a lot better at it. Right. And the reason is is because – God will produce that fruit in me if I'll cultivate the plant. Yeah, and yeah. Spiritual gifts. I mean, you, you. A lot of times you either you either got it or you don't. You can teach or you can't. With the fruit of the spirit, you you just put a little bit of effort in, and and you can have it. You you yeah. do have it. It's in there. Yep. Because God's spirit is inside of you. It's just whether we're letting the flesh suppress that or not. Yeah. Good way to put it. Proverbs 25, 11 says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I really like that phrase fitly spoken. I don't know if I've ever heard that word. I yeah. Mean, I've read the word, but fitly. Yeah. It's, it's just, I, I look at that as the, the right word at the right time. And how many times have we had that? Or I've had people. Or not. Or, or not. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Or, you know, you've had somebody come back to you 
years later yeah. and say, there was this thing that you said to me this one time and it was really impactful to me. You didn't even give it a second thought. You don't even remember saying it. Right. Um, but that's a, a, a word fitly spoken. I really, I like the way that that talks about it. Um, and I think about things that people said to me, um, you know, that built me up mm-hmm. at, at different times in my life. And one of the ones that came to my mind for whatever reason, while I was, we were getting ready for this was, I remember when I was in graduating high school and my high school coach told me that his, he had a son at the time who was very young and he said, I'm going to give you the best compliment I can give you. And that is that one day my son grow up, grows up to be just like you hmm. never wow. forgot that, you know, in, in my, and you know, you can think of hundreds of things that people have told you over the years. Me knowing him today, he, he probably deny that. No, I didn't really say that. <laughs> <laughs> that, may, that may be the case. That may be the case. His son did not turn out anything like me, really? but <laughs> uh, no, I don't mean that in a bad way. No, I no, didn't no. mean that in yeah. a bad way, but, uh, yeah, it, very, very interesting. Um, but anyway, I love the way that Proverbs here is painting a picture. You know, golden apples and silver in that day were not, they weren't everyday things like they are for us today. Mm-hmm. For us today, apples on, you know, apples on silver doesn't seem like it's a big deal. Back in this day, that was a big deal. Right. And so you have to understand that this was a, a more grand picture than what we think about when we, when we think about that today. Um, it's a really, really beautiful picture. Um, and that's what our words do for people. Our mm-hmm. words create these pictures that help people see things in a different way. And, mm-hmm. and it's just like when we see something beautiful, we, it makes us feel better. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when we speak a word fitly. Proverbs 7.2 says, keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. You know, I, I read some commentary on this verse, and, and I love one, one phrase that it said. It says, we should guard wise words, being God's teaching, as instinctively as we protect the pupil of our eye. And if you really think about that, I mean, kind of going back to my construction background, you know, you're, you're cutting a board, and, and we don't always wear safety goggles like we're supposed to, like you see on TV. You grab a saw, and you go to re- well, it's amazing how your reaction time, mm-hmm. you can see a piece of sawdust heading towards your eye at lightning speed and get your eye closed that quick. Yep. And what the commentary here is saying is that as instinctively as we protect our pupil, we should protect the, the teaching of God. And gosh, that's so convicting because, you know, you start to think about, the shows you watch mm-hmm. that go counter to God's teaching. We're not real quick to turn those off. Yeah. We think, oh, it's just a, it's just a TV show. Yeah. What, what if we think in the, we're ripping a piece of plywood and we see a, a splinter coming toward our eye and we say, it's just a little piece of wood. What's the worst it can do? It can put your eye off. Yeah. We need to be we need we need to have that same instinct when it comes to the things of the world that go counter to God's teaching, but we get comfortable. Yeah. We get relaxed. We think it's not a big deal. And before we know it, you look up a hundred years and see where our society is going. Yeah. By 
not being instinctive. So I just thought that was a great it's, piece of commentary that went with that verse. It's the same way. Um, I've got a friend of mine who is missing two fingers on his hand. Mm-hmm. And the reason he's missing those two fingers is because he was trying to get a cat out from underneath a bed and he decided to use a gun, a shotgun, <laughs> to, to get this cat out from underneath really his bed. Funny. No, it's not. But, I mean, he's fortunate he didn't kill him. He wasn't trying to shoot the cat. No. He was just trying to shoot away with he the butt was, of the gun. He had his hand on the barrel of the gun and he was using the, the stock of the gun to try to sweep the cat out from underneath the bed and the gun went off. Mm. And he shot his two fingers off. Wow. And that's that's a moment of not complacency. Guarding yourself mm. and not thinking. I mean, at the very minimum, checking to see if the thing's loaded. But yeah. you know, at the maximum, don't do that to start right. with. And um, but that's what we do. We, we people we've see, all seen people that are losing a missing a finger because of a table saw accident. You yeah. know, whenever I turn my table saw on, I think about those people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm I'm so careful around my table saw. And actually, one time with my table saw, I got a little nick, and it was just a tiny, tiny little nick. It was no big deal. But it showed me just how quickly and easily. And that's the way it is with everything that we do. When we let up, all we got to do is not be thinking about it. And the next thing we know, we're we've cut a finger off. Well, kind of going back to where we are, looking up at 100 years and and seeing where we are as a society by not. um, We went to a movie this past week, Um, me and Holly and Lane and Landon. We went to watch a movie in the theater and there was a preview came on before the movie you know how they show the previews for all the upcoming movies um we we were probably holly and i were probably besides landing landing we were probably the youngest people in the theater it was uh it was the movie elvis i'll say what it was um so most of the generation in there it was it was older people it was we were young for that crowd and Dean, the 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 preview for a movie came on. I was I was horrified. I was horrified by what I was seeing on the screen. I was uncomfortable. I was thinking the whole time I should have not brought my kids here. I mean, my kids are sixteen and nineteen now, mm. and and I know the generation sitting in that room was absolutely horrified by what they saw. I won't go into what it was, but it was completely inappropriate. And it's it's society pushing that line yeah. even further. It's pushing that splinter toward our eye even closer. And we think, well, it's no big deal. It's just a preview. We've got to start fighting back at this stuff. We do. And and I was I was so upset because I didn't know what to do. Yeah. You know, I almost got up and just said, we're out of here. But it wasn't the movie. It was the preview for some other movie. And that, right. that's where we're headed is just they – the world slips this stuff in wherever it can get in, and we've we've got to guard, yeah, our our eyes, God's word, and we've got to take it serious. Yeah, we've and it has to be a biblical thing. It has to be, in other words, the things that we've got to guard against. The Bible tells us all of the things that we should be guarding against, and a lot of times we look at the biblical things and we we think, well, that's kind of old fashioned. You know, times yeah. are different now, and they're not different. Well, they're I had a conversation different. with my two boys that night. I yeah. said, guys, I said, you, you you, saw that preview. I said, 
I hope that that does and will always horrify you as much as it did me. Uh, because we can't we can't let that become common. Yeah, we that that should always shock us, and it should always because I I there was a part of me that kind of felt comfortable because I had that consternation. Yeah, I had that that sense of which the furthest thing from peace I was and and a part of me is glad I I have I mean that's a comfort knowing that the spirit inside of me was like this is not good and we don't need to forget we don't need to try to suppress that yeah because many times when we get in uncomfortable situations what what do we want to do we want to try to figure out a way to make it comfortable yeah we don't need to ever let those things become the things that go counter to God's word. We don't ever need to let those things get comfortable in our lives. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, you know, in this fright, in this going back to the verse, in this verse, it talks about the apple of the eye. And so I went and I thought, I wonder where the origin of that phrase comes from. And so I Googled it. And the first thing that came up was it came out in like 800 and something A.D., and I thought, oh, that's after the Bible. Well, this says it in the Bible. And so I thought, well, that's that's weird, I guess. But it's translation. And translations were since then. Even in the New King James Version, I went and looked where it was there. But the King New King James Version was written in the 1600s, mm-hmm. uh, uh, rather the original King James Version. But I looked at it, and I realized that from everything that I can gather this phrase was in the Bible. Apple of my eye was in the Bible. It's where it originated from, but this this secular source didn't want to recognize that. In my estimation, I may be wrong. Maybe I'm I'm being overly critical uh, of the world in general. Um, but it seems to me that it looks like this word, this phrase, originated actually in the Book of Psalms, not in this particular verse, but in a different mm, yeah. in a different verse, and. Um, but that wasn't acknowledged. And mm-hmm. I and I think that's what the world is trying to do. Sure. And that's what we're trying to do with all the when we're pushing these boundaries is we're trying to erase standards. Sure. And we've got to be really careful about that yeah. for sure. We cannot allow them to get erased in, in the way that the way that you put it. Here's a question. Have you noticed the words the words please and thank you never go out of style? I was in a store just yesterday and uh it was a convenience store here in town, and and I paid a compliment to the guy. The guy was a younger guy, and he was just ringing up the stuff I was buying. He was so polite. It was, yes sir, yes sir, thank you. You know all the all the the things that you just don't hear anymore. And and you know we we really work on our kids to. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Please. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, that is kind of it's it doesn't go out of style, but it's kind of faded away in our society. And so when you hear it, it's like, wow, I I was very impressed by this young man. And that's what young people today don't understand is if if you just do those things, that's going to put you head and shoulders above anybody and job interviews and things like that is common courtesy is is fleeting in our society and if you just have it you stand out it's noticeable when that when you make that your regular practice for sure yeah you remember i remember back when when i was young 
this is and this is more customer service than please and thank you but if you went to mcdonald's was famous for it right mcdonald's was notorious for they're the fast fast food people at that time there weren't that many fast food restaurants around and um, but if they ever took longer than they've than just a few minutes to get your food ready they would give you a free apple pie that was the thing that mcdonald's always did was here's an apple pie for your for your trouble and nowadays people don't even say i'm sorry for your wait you could wait 15 minutes for your food that should have been there in three you know, under normal circumstances sure. and i understand that things happen and i realize that people are shorthanded especially in this day and time i'm, I'm not saying that it's it's terrible for somebody to but the idea that you just take people's 15 minutes for granted is also bad and i think mm-hmm. that's a thing that customer service has really waned i mean customer service and that's what you're talking about is customer service with this this kid that you're, you're yeah i mean about. it's 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 the idea that what what we as believers need to think about is is it's, it's that kind of stuff that it shines christ yes many ways you know what was was this young man i talked to yesterday was he a christian i don't know but I, I could see I could see Christ in him through the kindness and the respect that that does not make him a Christian, but I could see the characteristics yeah. coming through him. When you're ugly and vile and you don't care, you know I've been my wife, she's tired of hearing me say this. I say nobody cares nowadays. You know there's garbage on the road, just people don't care. You know Landon is doing this. Uh, he's got a little wood chips he does woodworking and stuff. And, and one thing I've really been working on him is if you think for a second, if you even think that something is wrong, redo it. It'll take longer. It'll cost more, but in the long run, people will recognize you as being quality mm-hmm. because that is something that it's just, it's how fast, how cheap can you get it done nowadays? And mm-hmm there are still many, many people out there who they want quality and it, and it, it goes to your character Yeah. when it's, it's hard to show somebody Christ when you just haphazardly do your job. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a discussion in the Bible. It's a discussion in, in, in scriptures that whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Well, haphazardly doing your job is not glorifying God. Mm-hmm. Throwing trash out on the road is not glorifying God. All these things that just get me in turmoil, it's because we're not we're not glorifying God. You know, it, it doesn't matter if if I pump gas for a living, I should do it with enthusiasm and kindness. The fruit of the spirit should be coming out of me while doing that job. Yeah. But many times, even believers and I'm, I'm pointing the finger at myself. We have a bad attitude about something, and we just let it just flow out of us. Yeah. And we start getting back to the first verse in Galatians where it's it's we're getting into the flesh. Yeah. And we got to stay away from that. For sure. The funny thing about this is, of course, you know I was born in New Jersey. And our language. Y'all have a hard time with this part. Our language is a little different <laughs> up there. And I can I've had a discussion with people a few times about using yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. Because where I came from, that those weren't words you used. Yeah. But you don't necessarily have to use those words to be respectful to people. It's attitude. It's attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And so um 
you know, like I would see my friends would be, would say yes, sir, no, sir, to their father. And I was like, that's weird. It was to me. Yeah. But for, you know, when you live in the South, it's like, that's normal. Right. That's what a, that's what a good kid does, sure. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, it was different, but at the same time, my parents, my, <laughs> let me put it this way. If I was ever rude to somebody, um, it would not take long to get a good backhand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you don't have to necessarily use certain words, but uh, you, you better be nice to people for sure. Another question. Is it possible to be thankful for tough times? Uh, how many times have we talked about that one? I mean, I think back to the recession of 2008. I mean, from a financial standpoint, that was about that about did our family in um, being in the housing market. But I also look back now. I don't think run for God would have ever started mm-hmm. had we would have just been times would have been good and we would have been building and and I, I don't. So I, I thank God every day for the recession and the hardships that we faced during those days because that that brought me to my knees. Yeah. And and I needed to be brought to my knees number one, but also that's where that's where this ministry was birthed. Yeah. Was during those times. Yeah. Well, it, it is absolutely possible to to be thankful, but it is not easy. Mm. Like while you were going through those times, oh, no. it was really oh, tough. Yeah, it but was You've had some really tough times even since then. Sure. You know, with with other things that have happened, but it's um that's why that you know that's we've talked about this on here before. That's why you have to look back, yeah, every now and then because, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's it's true. It's a cliche, but it's very very true. You can see clearly where God was weaving that tapestry. Where if it's something you're going through right now, you just sometimes it's hard to see because we're looking down. God's God's up above us. He's He's weaving this tapestry, but we're we're focused on you know what it is right in front of us. Mm-hmm. And but if you look back at the last time you went through something like this, God's all over it, yep. and that gives you comfort in what you're going through now. And that's why we should really, truthfully, when we're going through tough times, we should be thankful for it and realize there's 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 something better out there. As your story's going to depict, yeah, just stop, yeah, just calm down <laughs> because we get worked up. Yep, we have short memories. Isn't it funny how short our memories can be? <laughs> Memory of a mouse, is that what they say? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, and the bad part is, is nowadays we want we want it, we want this pity party nowadays. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of fashionable to, yeah. to to pity yourself. And 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 when somebody, this is what kills me, is when somebody's in a bad mood. And so I can picture this. I remember watching. I'm not going to use any names. Watching somebody on a golf course one time, and they were just, they were just worked up. You know how you can get on a golf course. <laughs> Why quit? And somebody came over. Yeah, somebody came over to him and kind of put their arm around him and said, um, "Oh, yeah, everything everything's okay." And it was like, "Don't you touch me!" It's like, "Don't spoil my bad mood." <laughs> you know, I'm in a bad mood here. Don't try I to make me happy in this for just a little while. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's crazy I've been there yeah and the world today is telling us we should play those things up sure. i mean because it's the people who have shortcomings and problems that's that are all news that, is nowadays yeah, you're right you're yeah. right and i think about 
this is something I have I have a have trouble with. I have this dilemma that runs through my mind from time to time, and I don't know where you fall on this, but I have a hard time with people who make a big deal out of somebody doing something ordinary, but they're in like somebody in a wheelchair doing something that ordinary people do, and people make such a big deal out of it. Sometimes it is a big deal, Mm -hmm. right? But I'll never forget, we had a guy, he was a maintenance guy at one of the plants that I worked at, and he had to walk around on crutches. I remember one time he went to another plant, and they kicked him out of the plant, wouldn't let him go through the plant with crutches. Well, we let him walk through our plant every day, all day, every day. That was what he did. Um, But he, he had had a hip injury, and they tried to replace his hip, and it didn't work. They, he actually didn't have a hip. Hmm. And so he had to walk around on these crutches. I remember going to him one time because somebody brought it up. Somebody was just out of the goodness of their heart. They were like, hey, shouldn't Steve have a close parking space to the building? And and his office was upstairs. There's a guy in, in crutches and his office is upstairs. And shouldn't he have a, an office downstairs? I, I said, you know what? You're right. We really should do that. And so I went to him, and I, I got a meeting with him, and I said, Steve, this is what we'd like to do. And he was offended yeah. at me. It was like, I don't need no charity. I don't need a co- close parking place, and my office is just fine where it is. Leave me alone. I'm just a normal person. And so I think sometimes when we get so worked up about somebody who's in maybe unfortunate circumstances who does an ordinary thing, that sometimes we do those people a disservice. Sure. So I, I just I, I don't know where that line is though. You know? What's like the guy that you know, Mr. Manus, who's passed on that I used to pick yeah. up, and, and he he walked everywhere. He he was a guy in our community. He had money. He had a house, but he was an old guy and he he's never owned a car. He's never driven before. And I used to pick him up and take him around. And Holly and I got to talking one day. And I said we need to figure out how to get Mr. Manus a car. I said this is dangerous and he's out walking the roads and then we got to talk and we said a car would kill him that was he was so thankful he loved to walk but most people looked at him with pity in their eyes and and woe is him and he needs a car and and i started to fall into that trap and i was like no you know i'm 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 putting what i see as a vehicle i'm trying to put that on him and he doesn't want that yeah he loves to walk he in fact, he made the comment a few times, I'm so blessed to be able to walk like this. And I'm yeah. convinced he lived many more years than he probably should have because of that fact. Probably so. Probably so. Last question. How can you say thank you without using words? <laughs> Pretty simple. Actions. Yeah. It's all about what we do. Say And saying good words is, is great, but what we do says an awful lot. Yeah. But there's, there's, you know, you can't help but think about the St. Francis of Assisi mm-hmm. and his quote, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. Here's what I found interesting about that. I kind of looked behind the scenes a little bit about this quote, and it turns out that very often when you see paintings of St. Francis, he has birds around him. Do you know why that is? Mm-mm. I thought this was fascinating. The reason he has birds around him is because he was known, they, they said that St. Francis would preach to the birds. That's how much he loved to preach the word, was he would preach to the birds. 
So the guy who said you don't really have to use words <laughs> is preaching to birds who can't understand what he's saying. Um, and I guess we have to be careful. Mm-hmm. We can't fall into this. As long as I'm just doing good stuff, that's enough. Yeah. We we need to be using words. Yeah. Anytime that we can use words. A lot words, of times we use that as a cop-out. We do. We yeah. do. And that's where, I, I, yeah, I, I, actions are definitely important. But I think that a good word means a lot more. Sure. Absolutely. Well, where was I recently? I was somewhere recently. I was running and I was suffering. I don't know if I was doing a track workout. I was doing something. And in the middle of whatever I was doing and feeling sorry for myself, somebody called my name. And all I heard, I didn't hear what they said. I just heard my name. And that, it was like, I realized it was like a sudden jolt of energy. That's all it takes sometimes Mm -hmm. is just one tiny little word. One word. Yep. While you are working hard to keep your body in shape physically, the music you listen to while you run can help keep you in shape spiritually. We have partnered with J Radio to put together a group of running playlists by Mitchell, Lane, Holly, me, and others that you hear on the Run Club podcast. Plus, you can listen to a playlist put together by members of Run Club just like you. Check out the whole station of Run For God playlist now at jradio.com and in the J Radio app. All right, so we're back. And um, so I've been practicing the steeplechase for the last couple of weeks. I went out. I made How's my, that going? I made myself some, uh, uh, some, some uh, hurdles out of PVC. You don't, you don't want the solid state one? You, well, that that would be fine. The problem is they put them up during the summertime because they don't want somebody to come well, and I steal them. You, what is that solid? You built one, didn't you? I built one. Oh, yeah, okay. I built one, and I'm using that for to practice the water jump. So if but you then, don't clear that one, you're going down. Yeah. It's, yeah. It doesn't move. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But I thought it would be good to learn how to jump them and not – because my, my tendency is to want to step on them because it's a little bit easier, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a little bit safer. And so, but I want to, I want to get good at jumping over them because it's more efficient. And so, um, so I built myself. So now I'm doing full laps with all the hurdles in place, not just the one, but all the hurdles in place. So I'm doing like 400 repeats and, uh, it's, it's not going too bad though. Mm-hmm. I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better. And what I've realized with the steeplechase is you got to pay attention to just jumping over a hurdle and then jumping over it at the right pace, completely different. Sure. Like whatever pace you come at the hurdle makes the whole thing completely different. And so that's really yeah, helpful. I think that's why a lot of times when you see hurdlers in races, if they hit one hurdle, yep. chances are they're going to hit several hurdles because mm-hmm. their their cadence, their stride length, everything just gets off they have and a certain, timing goes out. They have a certain number of strides yeah. between each hurdle. Of course, I've always said if I were, if I were a hurdler – I could be really good because you don't get penalized for knocking hurdles down, correct? Yeah, right. I would just run full steam through all of them because that would be way faster than me trying to do the hurdles. It'd be faster for you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Me. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. not for, you know, McLaughlin or whoever just won the yeah. – was that the world record yes. she won, the yeah. 400? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it might be different for her, but not me. For sure. Uh Another thing I saw recently was somebody had posted something about dogs. And you know how dogs are dangerous when you're running. Well, I say they're dangerous. 
It depends. Most are not. Uh, most are not. Um, I was running with uh, one of the high school kids the other day, and at, at, we had a group. There were four or five of us, and as we ran by, we were running by his house, and the dogs came out. And he said, oh, don't worry. They won't bite. And like famous last words. <laughs> yeah. <'Cause, laughs> kind of like, watch this. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that before. I had a friend of mine who actually was running in front of a friend's house and that dog got excited, came out there and they just, they just get excited. Yeah. And the dog bit him on the rear end, drew blood. I mean, it wow. was, yeah, it was, it was fairly serious. And, uh, the dog was playing. Yeah. But that's what you don't realize. And the other p- dangerous part about dogs is them getting tangled in your legs. That's what I worry about more than anything is they yeah. get up under your legs and tri- trip you. And yeah. uh, that could be just as bad as them biting you. It could be worse, sure. actually. Um, so, But here's the thing about dogs. About 99% of dogs are really intimidated by you if you ever challenge them. Sure. And so I have two methods. One of them is to run at the dog. If the dog is in my line, I'll just run directly at it, kind of in a, a little bit meaner tone, and they usually turn around and run away. Or, this is a great thing to use. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody else do this, but it works, and it works 99% of the time. All you have to do is act like you're picking up a rock. You only have to pick one up. You just have to bend over and act like you're picking up a rock off the ground, and you're gonna and you and rear back like you're gonna throw the imaginary rock that you have in your hand, and a dog will take off and run the other way. See, I've always done something different, and I've even got a there's a there's a German Shepherd just right down the road here that used to get me pretty riled up. I mean, he was mean looking, but one day I just stopped and I started whistling at him like I wanted to pet him. And all of a sudden, that tail starts wagging. Yeah. And he comes running up to me and let me pet him. So yeah. I guess that, that, that could go bad because he could have not started wagging his tail and like, oh, yeah, it's on. But most of the time, you're right. It's just they're excited. They're yeah. dogs. They bark. Some yeah. dogs sound very mean when they bark like a German Shepherd. But more times than not, they're just they're playful dogs. I mean. Yeah. They're usually from somebody's family. They're they're good dogs usually. Yeah, usually. Now I will say one time I remember getting it was the scariest running moment of my running life was where I got I was on this road I was on an eighteen mile run and in the middle of this run I was on uh, Leadmine Valley Road you know where it is yeah and there was there were two dogs one from one house and one from another house behind me so they were they were on opposite sides of the street and they had me between them and so i would look at one and when i looked at one the other one would get closer yeah and then i'd turn around and look at that one and the other one would get closer and i was really worried that those two dogs they were feeding off of each other and i was i was really scared and yeah. i was trying to kind of kind of squeeze out from in between them yeah and um and it was but what happened was as they were getting closer one of the dog owners heard them barking and called one of the dogs off. I can handle one dog, yeah. but when you get them on opposite sides, there's yeah. nothing you can do. Yeah, and uh, that was they a get really, that pack mentality. Then that was a really, really scary moment. All right, it is a time for Dean's thoughts, and that's a time when I share something that I've written about the intersection between running and faith. And of course, you know this story really well, <laughs> mostly because you're the friend I reference in the story who <laughs> invited me to go swimming. This one's called Quit Beating the Water. 
I signed up for an Ironman triathlon having almost zero experience. I had ridden a bicycle as far as 145 miles, so it seemed to me that the cycling portion would be no problem. And of course, I've always been a runner. I think I even ran out of the womb as my mother nearly gave birth to me on the way to the hospital and spent very little time in labor. In addition, I was two weeks early. I guess I've always tried to be fast and be early. But I was not a swimmer. I had never learned a proper stroke, but I had spent time in the water. I had been able to get from one area of the water to another. How hard could this swimming thing be? There are millions of people who swim. My mother brought me up to believe I could do anything, and if there were many other people doing a thing, surely I would have no problem with it. In addition, I had tried many sports, and although I wasn't great at every sport, I was not terrible in any of them. I could get this swimming thing down in the six months or so that I had to train. It went okay for a while. I found a program called Total Immersion, and it helped me to understand how to use a freestyle swimming stroke that was built for longer distance swimming. I would go down to the local pool, and I would work on my stroke. I took a couple of lessons as well. Although I was not getting much faster, I was getting more comfortable with being in the water and getting from uh, from one end of the pool to the other. My breathing was way more comfortable than when I first started. I didn't really like swimming, but all I had to do was build up to a point that I could swim 2.4 miles. I was able to get to that level in a few months. But then one day, a good friend of mine said, you need to do some open water swimming and get ready for race day. And he was right. The swim would take place in the intercoastal waterway of North Carolina, and I needed to be ready for that. If for no other reason than I didn't know if I could swim in a straight line without the aid of lane lines. As it happened, that same wise friend was going to do an open water swim in the Tennessee River in a couple of days. He invited me along to join the group he would swim with. It was early. As we walked down to the water, it was still dark, but the sun was beginning to peak over the horizon. As we approached the water, I realized that I had not given what I was about to do much thought. I laid down my towel, shed my shoes and shirt, and followed the other four or five swimmers into the water. As I pushed away from the bank, it dawned on me that I I couldn't just stop and stand up as I had been able to do while I was in the swimming pool. That thought unnerved me a bit, but I didn't panic. I started swimming. We were swimming against the current, which added another layer of complexity. I was a very slow swimmer. What if I couldn't swim fast enough to overcome the current? I was following others and I wanted to keep up with them. I kept stroking, but I felt like it was much more difficult than the pool had been. So I started swimming harder. I needed to keep up with the others. I had run and biked in groups and I was never the guy that slowed the group down. I didn't want to be that guy on that day either. So I swam a little harder. Suddenly, everything became overwhelming to me. I felt like I was barely moving, if at all. I felt like I was one bad stroke away from drowning, and I was 50 yards from the bank and couldn't touch the bottom of the river. I began to panic, and I started stroking even faster. Within seconds, I decided, I can't do this. I was going to have to turn around and get back to the shore, and I was going to have to give up this idea of swimming in the triathlon. It was over. Then my friend and the coach who was leading the group uh, with me uh, what, the, what saw me struggling. As I stopped and was, just, was now just treading water, um, if it was possible, my eyes were open wider than my goggles. It was crystal clear to them that I was panicking. 
And they did the best thing they could have done. They told me to calm down. They didn't start swimming towards me to rescue me. They didn't tell me to start swimming back to the shore. They just said, calm down, slow your stroke and relax. You're just beating the water to death. I had a choice in that moment. I couldn't, I could give up on the swim and try again later, or I could do what they suggested. I chose to force myself to calm down and take slower, longer strokes, and I worked really hard to relax. It worked. Although swimming against the current was still pretty difficult, I did it. We swam about a half mile against the current and then turned around and swam back after resting a bit on the bank. It was a day that changed everything. As it turned out, that advice to do some open water swimming was absolutely critical. If I had gone to the race without practicing, I would never have finished the swim. I did finish that 2.4-mile swim through the intercoastal waterway, but only after learning to calm down and relax. So what does swimming have to do with running? And what is my point to telling this embarrassing story? (laughs) It is this. If you're struggling, quit beating the water. Relax and calm down. When the run gets hard, calm down and relax. When you get anxious about, well, anything, calm down and relax. Quit beating the water. Are you anxious about doing intervals? Just calm down and don't beat the water. Are you worried about that first 5K, 10K, half marathon, or marathon? Just calm down and don't beat the water. Or maybe you're anxious about a relationship. We can get worked up and beat the water mercilessly in that case too. Relax, calm down, quit beating the water. Whatever it, ta- whatever it is that gets you worried, uneasy, apprehensive, or feel fearful, realize that often calming down to be able to think clearly can change everything. Try thoughtful, long, relaxed strokes and see if that changes your situation. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we avoid being anxious by letting God take over, it will all be easier. No matter what your worry, let God guide you, and you'll find out that you quit beating the water, and the swim will be much easier. Oh, you'll still have to do the swim, but it will be far more rewarding and possibly even enjoyable along the way. (laughs) I'll never forget that day. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) And you talked about your eyes being as big as goggles. It was so clear. I mean, you were probably, I don't know, five foot from me, and it was still dark, basically. I mean, it was... And I'll never forget seeing the whites of your eyes. (laughs) It was... uh, It was funny. Yeah. It wasn't for you in the moment, but it was. But it is now. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm such a bad, I'm still a bad swimmer. Yeah. I I never did get good at swimming. Yeah. But I I learned how to do okay with it. Yeah. We got a lot of run club people like that, right? Sure. That they're they're probably never going to be great runners. Right. But they can still do it. Sure. And a lot of it has to do with just relaxing, calming down, and just doing it instead of worrying and getting anxious about it, which is basically what happened there is it was like, like I said, I didn't want to be the guy that slowed everybody down. I didn't want to, I wanted to keep up. I wanted to do what I needed to do. And, and, it, and I just, it just, I got panicked. Well, we, we've talked about this a lot on here before, but all the things that just aren't true come into your head. Yeah. You know, I'm slowing everybody down. Well, nobody actually thought that. No. Uh, no. I'm going to drown. No, you probably really aren't. 
I mean, all the thing, and we do this with every situation that we panic about in our life. We we go to the worst case to the things that ninety nine percent chance are not going to happen. But that's yeah. where we go, mm-hmm. and we just need to stop. That's true. Relax. That's true. And usually things get better when we do that. That's right. Well, why is it that people who are good runners typically aren't good swimmers and people who are good swimmers typically aren't good runners? Isn't that weird? It just seems to be that way. Maybe maybe, maybe I'm being hyperbolic and maybe I'm being crazy. But it See, just seems I thought a lot of – if you talk to the CRP folks at USA Triathlon, which is the college recruitment program. Yeah they look first and foremost at swimmers because they will say that a, an, a very gifted swimmer can make a very gifted runner. Yeah. That the, all the characteristics are there. The bike is just something you feel. I mean, well, Gwen Jorgensen was a runner Yeah, that they had to teach to swim, but most of the people that come through the CRP program, which is, um, she wasn't through the CRP program. She was one step on, but, most people that come through that they're they're scouting swimmers yeah um, huh. and i know a lot a lot of the guys that lane runs around with who are, who are coming through the crp program now have a swimming background yeah and maybe they run cross country uh, but their strength is really swimming and from what i understand you can work with that yeah you can you can you can teach the other th- it's just like you you're, you're a great runner but it's hard to teach a runner to swim, but it's easy to teach a swimmer to run, if that makes sense. It does make sense because swimming is so different than running. In well, so it's, swimming is more like golf than it is running. Yeah. It's all technique. It's very – it's coordination. Um, and, I mean, a lot of runners – a lot of great runners are just not coordinated naturally. Thanks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wasn't pointing my finger, but, you know. You owned it, but yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think it, it holds some some truth that you, a good runner can come out of a great swimmer. Yeah, this idea of relaxing. I know that when you run with somebody else, you know, some people don't ever want to run by themselves because it feels so hard to run by themselves, and it feels easier to run with people. This is really why. It's because when you run with somebody, you tend to relax. Well, you remember? You, I know you remember this, but when Landon. And Andrew, yeah. one of the guys on our cross country team, both of them, their breathing would get out of hand. They couldn't even they couldn't even hold a slow pace on some of our runs. But we learned if we put them together, then they got to talking, and they would run faster, and their breathing would be just fine because they weren't thinking about it. Yeah, a lot of a lot of our problems many times in in harder efforts is we just think too much. We just need to turn the brain off and just run. And that's a lot of times when you get with somebody and you get to talking, you look down and your pace is faster. Yeah, I know I used to do it with a buddy on the bike. We would we would go out, you know, training for an Ironman, and we would say, we're not going to go over 19 miles an hour or whatever, whatever the pace was that we were trying to hit. But we would get beside each other on the bike, and we would get to talking, and we'd look down, and we were doing 21 yeah and it's because you relax and performance really increases in so many senses when you just relax yeah well i had an athlete just this morning doing a workout and she's trying to do a tempo run she did an easy run yesterday faster than her tempo run today because yesterday she had music in her ears yeah it's all in her head and you know exactly who i'm talking about i don't even have to tell you who it is uh 
I, I saw her doing her easy run yesterday morning. Yeah. And she was running a pretty good clip down Cleveland Highway. Yeah. Yeah, I saw her. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, you know, ang- being anxious and worry, I know we don't like to talk about this, but that's a sin. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the Bible commands us not to. Yeah. Bible's pretty clear about it. And we have this really hard time with deciding between worry and and being concerned mm-hmm. they're not the same thing but we treat them like they are the same thing well and i can't remember the preacher's name i've said it on here before but there's a a pastor that comes to our church sometime and he makes the comment that stress equals selfishness and it's yeah. the idea that when we stress we're, we're taking it all on ourselves because we think it's too big for god yeah so we we want to hold on to it and that's just selfish. It's the audacity of us to say, God, this is too big for you. But when we stress, really that's what we're saying. Yeah, that's right. On a spiritual level, that's what we're saying. And we know nothing's too big. Sure. As a mom, I want to make sure we choose a cereal that's not entirely derived from sugar. Their car seats have to be nationally CPS certified, and their first car has to have every possible safety feature known to man. I just want to do my best to make sure that they're safe. One thing I don't have to worry about is the content they hear on J-Radio. Not only do they love the music, but I know it's only going to be a positive message that I would approve of. Now, if I could just figure out how to get my youngest from sticking everything up his nose. Sign up at JRadio.com and download the new J-Radio app in your app store. All right, we're back, and of course, it's it's again, it's track season. USA Championships just had those. Of course, by the time this comes out, it'll be a little bit old to be getting ready for World Championships. But uh, boy, it was exciting! All sorts of great things. You mentioned a little while ago, Sydney McLaughlin with a new world record. Mm-hmm. That girl's amazing. Four hundred hurdles. Four hundred hurdles. Her her time in the four hundred hurdles would have gotten her into the finals of the Open four hundred. Really? Yes. That's how fast she is. I don't know that anybody has a big appreciation for just how fast this girl is. She's like two seconds faster than the next best. I mean, just she's crazy, crazy fast and tra- crazy talented and uh, and a good Christian girl. So it's really cool to see to see that. Uh, some other distance races. Grant Fisher ran a really good 5,000 meter race. He ran sub four minute pace for the last three laps of the 5K um, just absolutely hammered everybody into submission three laps out. And uh, it was really impressive to watch. And it was a pretty hot day. He set the record. I think they ran 13.03 and um, set the the record for the USA Championships on a day where it was like mid-80s. Wow. And, I mean, just in, incredible. Uh, and of course he blew it last month in the 10 K everybody thought he was going to win the 10 K and then he comes back and just, and and crushes it. So then the women's 5 K was crazy. They ran the winning time was like 1549, which I know sounds really fast to people who don't follow this, but what is the world record for women's 5 K? It's like 1410. Really? So it's very slow. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, but they went out real. It was hot. About halfway through, they just decided it was super hot, and they just all kind of – nobody wanted to take the lead. And so it just came down to a big kick at the end. 
and uh but it made it an interesting interesting race i I enjoy races like that i don't care about the time uh and then the men's 1500 was the same way but it was interesting because cooper tier who uh, the big knock on cooper tier has always been well he's not a kicker he's really good at these races that are really fast and even paced and this was not one of those races and he came back and won it anyway he was sixth with 300 meters to go and wound up winning so uh yeah that was a fun race to watch and then I think Mo, we've talked about her on here mm-hmm. before. She came back, and you just, you know, you just assume a thing's going to crush everybody in the 800 meters. Well, with 50 meters left to go, she was second. Hmm. Ajay Wilson passed her with 50 meters to go, and then I think just had a, I mean, she just dug a little deeper hmm. and, and wound up winning, but they ran pretty fast times. It's going to be interesting to see if both of them can medal at world championships. I think they've got a chance. And Ajay's Ajay's been around for a very long time. Um, She's in her 30s now. She's been um, on the top of the 800-meter list for years. She was there when we had those the two uh, athletes that that are no longer able to compete in that. And so she kind of was always third, but she was always the best for for her. It's good to see her getting some payoff. And then the guy we've talked about before, Cade Flat, the high schooler, mm-hmm. you know, he has missed the high school national record by less than a tenth of a second three times. <laughs> and he did it for a third time um, on the first round of the qualifying. And uh, but then he missed the final by one place. So he almost made it to the finals of the USA championships. He's a high schooler. Um, that would have been pretty impressive, particularly in that that race. Um, Evan Jager, I don't know if you know that name. Evan Jager's a steeplechaser, but we haven't heard about him for, I don't know, five or six years. He's been down and out because he's had some injuries and he's had all sorts of problems. Evan Jager was on pace to break eight minutes. He'd have been the first American to break eight minutes in the steeplechase, and he fell over the last hurdle and wound up running like 803 or something like that. Hmm. Um, but that's how good Evan Jager was. And then he had all these injuries and. You know, people are just thinking, well, he's he's too old now. He probably can't come back. Well, he came back. He finished second and ran really well in the steeplechase. So it was really good to see a guy that struggled so much mm-hmm. come back and do well. So I was excited to see him do well. That was that that was pretty fun. And then uh, on the women's side, Emma Coburn, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about her a couple of weeks ago where she didn't look very good. Right. She looked way better. Still has a little bit of ways to go, but I think she ran like uh, 908, which is respectable. That's probably not going to get her a medal, but 10 seconds faster than that would definitely get her a medal. So uh, she's in she's in the ballpark. Courtney Wayment, the NCAA champion, finished second and beat Courtney Freyricks, who is the American record holder. Um, so it's pretty cool. We got three good steeplechasers. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in world championships. And then remember this name. Abby Steiner, you that she is, she's the stuff. Um, she won the 200 meters. Um, she ran 21.77. Um, she's the fastest NCAA 200 meter runner ever. She's from the University of Kentucky. Um, she is crazy, crazy fast, and it's fun to watch her run. She's got this big smile, and she just seems like a really good, really good girl. Um, and and I, so it was cool to see her do well. And then finally, the one last one. I don't know if you saw. Did you see the Noah Lyles Arian Knighton race? No. Well, Arian Knighton, you know, he's the high schooler uh, who's so fast. And 
Arian Knighton was leading the race by a fairly substantial amount. And then over the last 10 meters, maybe, Noah Lyles caught him and passed him. And as Noah Lyles went across the line, he pointed across Arian Knighton's chest. Just, I think what he was doing was, I think he was saying to all his doubters, where people saying, well, he, Noah Lyles is done. He's not never going to be that great again. And, of course, he wins a USA championship in the toughest event to win in, in, as an American. And I think what he was doing was he was kind of pointing at his doubters. You all people thought I was out. I'm not out. But it looked a little different than that. And then in the interview afterwards, he he really disrespected Arian Knighton. Hmm. And he basically said, he said, well, he said, I saw him ahead of me. I knew he was at top speed, and I knew I had more, and I was faster than him. And so I beat him. And Arian Knighton just basically said, this thing's not over. And then he walked <laughs> away from the interview. I mean, wow. It wasn't the best sportsmanship from Arian Knighton, but he had just really been attacked pretty good by Noah Lyles. So we've got this little rivalry, rivalry thing going. Yeah. That's going to be fun to watch. And uh, I, Noah's playing the playing the bad guy, playing the evil dude, and Arian's just this nice high school kid. And so it's it's going to be fun to watch uh, what happens in world championships. Uh, sprinters are known for being that way. Yeah. But, Why uh, is that? I don't know. I guess because it's so intense. Yeah. You know that, uh, you know, you, you see sprinters. Long distance guys don't have the, the oxygen left at the end of the race to really smack talk much. Sprinters, are you know, they're beating on their legs and stuff. and They're trying yeah. to get fired up. And some of them will shout. They'll do different things to get fired up. You know, distance runners are saving their energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we have a trivia question for this week. And um, this one's pretty simple. You're going to have to research this one because I bet you don't know the answer to it. Um, now, maybe somebody out there does. But here's the question. Who is Robert Garside and what did he do? Robert Garside. Hmm. This is an interesting story. I don't know this one. And so uh, I thought that this was a good way to share his story. So we'll do that next week when we give you the answer. But in the meantime, if you know the answer, if you've Googled it and you know, or if you just know off the top of your head, then send a message to me at Dean at run for God. And if um, not Facebook messenger, that's right. Not customer service, but that's Dean at run for God.com. And if you're the first one, you'll get a run for God Tumblr, which is awesome. It is. Yeah, for sure. So be the first one. Every week I share a reason why running is so awesome. And this is the reason this week. This one might be a stretch. <laughs> it, a it helps us tell time. I know that's a heck of a statement, but hear me out. Runners are just obsessed with time. I mean, think about it. We're all looking at the clock all the time. We track everything. We track every workout. What would we be without Strava? You know, we, we, we have to track all these numbers. Um, we just look at the clock more often than most people do. Let me ask you a question because I know I have. And I have a suspicion that you have as well. Have you ever been going out to do a run? And not only did you go back to get your watch, maybe you maybe you drove somewhere to do a run and you got back in the car and went home because you didn't have your watch? No. I have. No. I have. I purposely turn. I'm off. one of those. I'm one of those that says if it's not on Garmin, it didn't happen. Yeah. So I, I don't know why I'm just weird like that. I have. I've went to like Edwards Park for a run, and I didn't have my watch, and I come back home. I still did the the run or the walk, but I 
I had to have my watch on. It's well, a, well I wear my watch 24 hours a day. So, see, and I don't. And and here's here if if uh, you've got if, if you're watching line to yeah if you're watching it. YouTube yeah um, you can see that it looks like I have my watch on when I don't have my watch on. Right. Um, so I never forget my watch. Yeah, but I do purposefully go out and run without my watch. Uh, probably on an average once a week. Yeah. Because it helps me just take it easy. Yeah. I don't care what pace I run if I'm not recording it. But yeah. if I'm recording it, and I know people are going to see it on, I don't know. There's just that <laughs> side of you. You got the whole Strava side to yours. Yeah. yeah. I'm not on Strava. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know. And it shouldn't bother me. And it really yeah. doesn't. I mean, I've, there's a lot of, a lot of really, really slow runs on there where I'm running with somebody else or whatever. But it, I don't know. It just it helps me relax a little bit more. Back to the story. It helps me relax a little bit more when I turn my watch off. So anyway, you know, when, when somebody says I'll be there in 20 minutes and you're a runner, you look for them to be there in 20 minutes. That's not because I'm a runner. Not 25 minutes. <laughs> but we, what I'm saying is we know what 20 minutes is. Right, yeah. Because we know what 20 minutes is. We have a very good reference. Yes, we do. Frame of reference for time. For time. Yeah. 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 So that's why I say, I don't know, maybe that's going outside the realm. No, I think it's it's inside the realm. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Our motivational thought of the week. Since we had a singer's quote last week, let's keep that going for one more week. This one comes from Alicia Keys. I'm all about breaking mental boundaries and training for a marathon falls right into the Jedi mind training I need. (laughs) Uh, That's a good one. I like that. Uh, I never thought about, I never thought about it being Jedi mind training, but I think uh, of Jedi mind tricks. I've never heard Jedi mind training. Yeah. Yeah. My kids used to say I played Jedi mind tricks on them. Well, yeah, but you, well, you you never saw Star Wars. I so. didn't, so I really don't know what that means. You know, in Star Wars, I did see half of one Star Wars. Yeah, don't forget that. That's right. Yeah, I just didn't like it, so I never watched it. It again. didn't have the half where where Han Solo, not Han Solo, Luke Skywalker was was practicing with the with the uh, the little see, thing. I don't was, know who Luke Skywalker. I don't know which one he is. Oh my goodness! God, I know which one Darth Vader is, and that's that's about it. Man. About it yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, there's no doubt. I know that's heresy to a lot of people listening, but sorry, sorry, sorry folks, sorry. Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of good qualities too, so don't, don't, uh, don't hold that one against him. All right. Well, until next week, may God bless every step of every run. Go out there and shine your light. Good job, Dean. For more information about the Run for God ministry, go to runforgod.com. If you have questions about your salvation, click on the Peace with God tab. There's nothing more important. Thanks for joining us today.